G'day guys and welcome to Talking Luft, another one, here we go. If you haven't heard it, you've got to go back and listen to the episode I did last week on the Cycling Podcast, Team's Time Trial 2014. It's the time of the Giro, so I thought I'd just get a bit of a Giro episode happening. I got the old crew back together when we won the Team's Time Trial back in Belfast. It was a lot of work speaking to all the guys, but... It came together so well. I had such a great time listening to it. I really loved all the feedback for all everyone who's heard it, sending it in. It's been a great, great to hear what you guys thought of it. So thanks a lot. And if you haven't heard it, you've got to go back and listen to it because it sets up this talking loft. I'm speaking with Matt White, my old director from Green Edge, but also an old pro who rode on US Postal, Cofidus and Discovery Channel at the end. So he was in the era of Luft. He got to race with no helmets. He got to sign on, wear caps. He gets it. So we hear some great stories from him. So guys, sit back and enjoy this little snippet. Here's Matt White. Cheers. Right, here we are, guys. Now, we've got a special talking loof this week. Because of our Giro mix-up pod, I had to pick one guy for talking loof. And the guy that I wanted to get was my old director, um, Matt White. And if you guys don't know Whitey, um, he was a long-time pro. He was turned pro in 1998 and then finished with Discovery Channel, turned pro with Moravita in 1998, and then to finish with Discovery Channel all the way in 2007. So he had a nice long career there, and I see it as in the period of Talking Luft. Now, this is this, this is the period of I'm talking about um, when I say referencing some of this stuff. So, Whitey, welcome to Talking Luft, mate. Yeah, good day, mate. How are you going? Very good, very good. Um, I guess we'll just go straight into it, and let's talk about it. Caskets. I'm talking about the cycling cap. How do you wear yours? If you still wear one now, when you go out, or when you were back in the day, how did you wear your cap? Did you wear it forwards? Did you wear it brim up, backwards, brim down? Yeah, well, I, I remember uh, in my early days you know, when I first started cycling, you know, watching the pros and you know, caskets. In Australia, in the late eighties, uh, they they were like contraband products. So actually, just to get one uh, in when I first started cycling was pretty exciting. And then when I did end up, you know, using them as a as a rider as an amateur uh, in the early days, uh, I used to well, because as an amateur, I always had to wear a helmet. So I used to what I used to do is uh, I used to cut the whole the top out of mine, and uh, you know, when, especially in the summer. Cut, cut the top out of it, like a big hole in the middle, and then uh, put it on there over the years, and away we go. And then when I was training, obviously, and racing early in the years, I um, I used to wear them. That was all I'd wear training. I never trained with a helmet uh, in Europe, uh, just a just casket every day. So that was going to be my next question. If you could, This is what I say to the guys now. If you could have raced in the era of no helmets, which is sort of the era that you, they sort of finished up when you were racing, but you spoke, you spoke then about uh, training with no helmet 
what would it have been? Would it have been a cap? Would it have been a headband? Would it have been, you know, just hair or a snag helmet? But you're just saying it was a cap. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of the time I did bust it, depending on the, the, the weather. So in the, in, in the winter months, probably, you know, more of a heavier duty sort of a cap. And then in the summer months, well, I live in the south of Spain, so there's not really too harsh a weather month. Uh, but that was when I would go up to racing. And I had this crazy mentality of, in Belgium, I'd always wear a helmet, but in stage races, uh, especially the mountain, mountain stages, I'd never wear a helmet, you know, and I, and I never trained in a helmet in Spain, which is probably ridiculous because, you know, some of the highest speeds and biggest risks you take are not just with the people around you in the bunch, but the, you know, you know Dolomite descents or Alpine descents <laughs> with a cloth cap on. Uh, <laughs> if I was wearing a full cap, I did turn it around. Uh, but if I had the traditional uh, cutout hat, I'd just bust it. I'd just leave it as it was. Sometimes I might pop the lid uh, for yeah. the descent. And uh, I, I, did have, I did have quite blonde hair because I, I was mm-hmm. training, you know, obviously, you know, five hours a day in the sun down here in Spain. So I wanted to keep that blonde hair as well. And so in the races, that was, it was a very it was a silly macho sort of mentality to have. But you know, to think <laughs> that... And, and I, yeah, to do anything to not in Belgium and sponge sprints, I'd wear a helmet. But the rest of the racing, I, I would choose just the cloth, cloth cap, mate. So you had the you had the top cut out like taffy when you used to race. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Except in those two environments, I'd, I'd never line up in a sprint with a without a helmet. And I'd, and in Belgium, I'd always have a helmet. But the rest of the racing, she was. Uh, Cut out, cut out roof of the cap, and away she went. <laughs> a poster taffy who decides to ride wet Roubaix with a cutout cap. Yeah, no thanks. No yeah. Thanks. All right. Well, let's talk about your favourite race. Out of all the races out there, it might have been even a race you didn't do, or maybe a race you like directing. But what is your favourite race of all the races? Although I suppose very apt talking about it in, in the month of May, it's definitely the Giro. It's definitely the Giro. Mm. As a rider, it was my first Grand Tour back in '98. I haven't actually missed many versions, uh, many yet since. I think I've missed three or four uh, since '98, wow. and that's because uh, the teams, the teams I was with, didn't actually ride. Because you know, back in the day, before it was a World Tour event, not all teams went to the Giro. Teams, a lot mm. of teams. Uh, when I was at US Postal, they, they did. We didn't do uh, the Giro. They did the tour. They did the tour, and they did uh, the Vuelta. So that, I missed three years there: two, two, one, two, and three. And I didn't miss too many others, and uh, it was definitely a joke. I think just because I've such some, such fond memories from a, as an athlete, and, and then obviously this side of the fence. And uh, I've never been to a Giro where we haven't won a stage, so I, it's a uh, it's really happy hunting ground, both as a rider and, and as a director. And because I lived there from '98 to 2000, and I do I do love the country. It's really uh, I really do love that that month. And it's, it's weird not being there in this in, in May. You've never you've been to the Giro every single time you've won a stage there that you've been. Correct. Is that correct? Yep. You won a stage in '98, your first year. Yep, with Glenn Magnuson. Uh, oh my god! Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. What a record! Uh, and and like, there's many. Like in 2000, we had the in 2000 we won Casa, Casa Grande. We had the jersey for 12 or 13 days. Lost it on the penultimate stage to Stefano Garzelli. Came back, uh, yeah, back in, in with Cofidis, with Yeah, but who with Cofidis did you win with? Uh, there was a, a climbing guys there, who we uh, little Spanish climbing guys. Yeah. Then, right. then we had, then we went back there with Salvadelli. Uh, oh yeah, in, of course, in, the Falcon. Yeah, with the Falcon, and then we went. Then obviously uh, went there with Tyler Fer- Tyler Ferrar with Garmin. 
Yeah. Uh, we were wrapping up stages uh, there as well for those three years. And then with Green Edge, the only year in the last, since this team started, I didn't go to 13. So 12, we won with Gossie. Uh, 14, we won three stages. 15, we won a couple more stages. 16, we won with Caleb. 17, uh, I 17, we won with Caleb. 16, we won. Uh, 16, we won with Esteban, and we had the pink jersey. We lost the penultimate day. 18, we won five stages. Uh, last year, uh, and uh, actually last year we didn't win a stage. So last year was uh, last year we didn't. My God, I stand corrected. We last year we had five second places. And no, and no stage win. What a memory! Great memory, mate. But it's been, it's been, uh, yeah. So it's been a very happy hunting ground. All right, and moving on. What is your favourite drink? What's your poison, Whitey? Is it? Are you a wine man, beer man? What's your go-to? Well, I am pretty versatile. Uh, I am <laughs> pretty versatile. Uh, I, I do like if I could a favourite drink. I, I do again and again. It falls back to the Giro. I do like being in Italy this month and uh, and having a nice red wine from the Piedmont region. Mm, good call, a nice Barolo or something. Yeah, a, a Bar- you, you can't go wrong with maybe a, a three to four year old Barolo uh, for di- uh, a dinner in the month of May. That, that'd be my right. that'd be my favourite poison. Good yeah. call, good call. All right, racing or training. What do you prefer, mate? Oh, that's easy one. That's racing. Uh, training. I, I, I was someone as an athlete. I, I enjoyed training. I, I enjoyed hurting myself. And I still, yeah, you know, I've been retired 12 years now. But I uh, I still, I still, uh, actually, we did want to stage the Joe last year with Esteban. Um, I just, just came back to me. <laughs> I, I just came back to me. Um, uh, I, so training, it wasn't, I, I never found training a chore. Uh, but but I do love what I love. I love competition, and I love when I was an athlete. It was obviously you're trying to win as an athlete, or trying to help your teammates win. And, and on this side of the fence, it's trying to give the best preparation and the best advice, and creating an environment where the guys can win. And I I, I love it, man. And that's that's been hard the last two months not being at race. So I, I I'm I'm a real creature of habit, and that is and I, I'm I still get excited being on the road, and I still enjoy going to hotels, even it might be you know, 22, 23 years in Europe. But I still love it, and I, I can't wait to get back there. Nice. All right, crosswinds or mountains? Ooh, they're both they're both painful, just in different ways. Uh, <laughs> I suppose. What about as a rider? What did you What did you prefer? Yeah, crosswinds. Crosswinds. I think if if you had any, if you had a if you could ride in crosswinds, it was a big a big bonus. Obviously, when you go up to Belgium and Northern Europe, everyone can ride in, in them. Some better than others. But I I have some pretty fond memories of crosswinds in parts of the world that don't, you know, in the Vuelta, for example. So mm, you know, about to say that, if, you, yeah. if you come to the Vuelta with a half decent team in the crosswinds, you can do what you want and, and you can run a muck. Uh, and, <laughs> and there was a couple of stages back, you know, when we, when I was riding for Roberto Heras there in, in discovery, we came in or us postal and we, we, we see a stage through the middle of Spain there and it was flat and windy. And we, we had some big engines, you know, Ekimobs and Henkapis and Peñas and, and we were just we ripped a couple of stages, and I remember that we had the fastest stage ever. It's a Zaragoza. It was basically one direction, 185k, one direction, all cross tail, and it was yeah. it was 53 or 54k an hour average speed at the time <laughs> in 2001. And, and we us and Onsay just absolutely did the damage. And so, 
if you've got those skills and you're in an environment where you know the majority of people don't, it, it's fun. It's certainly fun. Yeah, it is very fun. And you, you're just so surprised. I always remember you're so surprised. Like you come out of Bing Bang Tour sort of just a few weeks before and everyone can hang single file in the gutter for like, you know, 5, 10K. No one moves. It's crosswind as hell. You come to Spain and you're like, when did that split? Yeah. Did that split already? Yeah. So, yeah, I totally agree. Um, all right. Think back now. Hardest or favorite training session? I don't know if you'd have too many favorite training sessions, but what was it? I, I think the, the fondest is I, I remember doing – this goes back a long time now. I remember going to a camp uh, where we were staying – it was 1995, and it was a national team. Uh, so it was myself, Robbie McEwen – uh, Nick Gates, I reckon Brett Dennis, Kelvin Martin, uh, Alan Yaquani, and we were we were staying uh, just outside of Vale, and there was this one loop. We were there for a big block. A mm. uh, Damien McDonald. Uh, so it was a team time trial group. Been uh, the majority and Robbie, and it was a big loop which went through. Oh, I can't remember. I don't know. The, I can't remember the first pass. The second pass was in Independence Pass, and then you went up to Aspen, and it was a, just this beautiful oh, yeah. 180k. I reckon she was 180 to 200k loop, and you know those rides that they might be hard, and there was probably 4,000 meters of climbing on this loop, and we we're starting at 2,200, and you went up to three five or something over these top of these passes. But the, it was just a. Be- I remember the day. I remember that it was the last day of a block, and it was just yeah you know, maybe 20 degrees, sensational weather. No helmet, chaining our little caskets, and the loop mm. was six hour, six hour loop, and I'm just thinking, wow, this is incredible, you know. And it just, it, I've been to Europe a couple of years by '95, and just thinking, wow, this is awesome, and uh, just enjoy, and just really enjoying the ride. Yeah, nice. I love that. That's still stuck in your memory from all those years ago. That's awesome. All right, mate. When you're out there riding, um, firstly, are you a coffee stop guy? Well, maybe back then or even now, are you a coffee stop guy? And when you do stop, if you do stop, are you a sweet or a savoury man? Right. So in Australia, we're 100% coffee shop guy, 100%. Uh, it's sort of in the culture of riding in Australia. And when you're back in Oz, when we, when we were back in Oz, I suppose, when my early days, we were back a lot longer. In the national team, we didn't head to Europe till March and we, we were back in September. And so it was basically nearly six months, six months. So a lot of the training you do in Oz, you do your harder stuff in Europe, and it was all oh, a lot of the base kilometers training you were doing here. So that, yeah, for sure, I remember mm. had a big bit of a posse in Southern Sydney. <laughs> we'd go out and do, yeah, you know, down the Wollongong ride, yeah. and we we had one shop that we'd go to, and that was our halfway stop, and we'd we'd nearly have lunch there, wouldn't we? That <laughs> <long>. uh, <laughs> and then we and then we'd head home. Uh, so that was that was Oz. Here, when when I moved to Europe, I suppose. Especially when I moved to Spain, um, it's so hot here for the big majority of the year near Valencia that you would have to stop multiple times just for just to fill up bottles. Yeah. So yeah, you know, it might not be so much a co- coffee here in Spain. Is not well back in the day. It's not super. Uh, you certainly don't. The you know the places that we'd stop, the little random bars that we'd see, you wouldn't be getting anything with the milk in it. That's for sure. The milk could have been <laughs> out for about two weeks. Um, so it was a black coffee, and but we'd had we'd have to stop there anyway just to go buy a, a, another liter and a half of water and buy a couple of Aquariuses and and just uh, hide from the heat for a little bit. But so yeah, I, I definitely stopped. I remember 
you know, guys like Lance and training with him, and he wouldn't stop. Like he's a guy. If he didn't have someone following him to to give us give him bottles, I remember him once training him out out the back of Girona, and uh, we had to, we had to stop. We had no follow car. We had to stop at a gas station to go buy some water and Aquarius, and he would loop around inside inside the car in the car park of the gas station. He would like, never stop. He he never stopped, and we were like. We were three. I remember I was with George and him, and we're three and a half to four hours into this ride. It was stinging hot in August. It was post tour, and he had a cup. He had two races to do: San Sebastian and something else. And and we, oh, can we stop, Lance? Stop. We ran in, put our put our dollars in. It was a, out the back of nowhere. I don't. I didn't even think the gas station was open, but we we bought it through a vending machine. And we filled our bottles up, and, and Lance wanted a little bit of Aquarius or water, but he he was. I just remember him rolling round and round. In this gas station, didn't hop off the bike, and so we were we were there probably three minutes, and and carried on. That was it. <laughs> Nuts. All right, you talked about coffee. Then, what is your coffee? What 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 do you do at home now? Are you a are you a black coffee man all day, or you start with a bit? Of, are you Italian style? Start with the cappuccino and then drift into espressos later on in the day. What's your coffee? So my my habit my habits at home are probably a little bit different to when I'm at races. So I, I do work off. I'm not a, I'm not fanatical about my coffee like I know some guys are. Uh, I just have a Nescaf, Nescafe, Nes, Nespresso machine. So soon, mm. that's the first thing that goes in my gob in the morning, after, not too long after the old eye, eyelids open, is a short black. <laughs> and at home when I'm... Do you have the Nespresso machine on the bedside table? Just wake up, press the button? I'm that close. I still, <laughs> I still have to walk 10 metres to the, to the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, she's short black. She's short black. Uh, and so I have one. Then I'll have my breakfast. Or it depends if I'm at home. If I'm on a bit of a regime, I'll, I'll have a short black and then she's off. Off for a ride or a run. Uh, and then I'll usually have a couple more. I'll have a couple more during the day. And I try to, I try because I, as you know, I get, I, I am easily excited. And I, so I try <laughs> to limit my coffees. Five o'clock's deadline. I, I don't. I don't have too too many coffees after five because I actually got caught out yesterday. It was a pretty grim day, and I was going to jump on Swift and do a race on Swift at seven, and I had a coffee at six thirty, and that's that it didn't work too well with my sleeping patterns. And so I, I try to stay off the coffee after five. Uh, so that's I'm short back all day. When I'm in yeah, nice. when I'm in Italy, which is usually a couple of weeks in March, the whole month of May, and a week in October. I flog the espressos. I flog the cappuccinos to death. I flog them. To, I, I I love a good cappuccino. Do you go past the twelve o'clock rule? I do. I do. Uh, depend. I have a good look around who's looking, but I I, I have I have had some afternoon cappuccinos. Uh, but where I where I live in Spain, <laughs> there's not too many good coffee shops. So I I never touch it. I never order a milk coffee uh, here at home. It's only when I'm at races. Nice. All right. Well, back to Back to the day, back in the day, were you train alone or train with a group guy? Uh, no, it was my group was Julian Dean. That way, we had maybe one or two would tag on. There were some other random pros. Klaus Moller, Danish professional, lived 25 kilometers away. Victor Hugo Pena lived 25 kilometers away. Uh, and Julian lived uh, under 10 kilometers away, sometimes 1K, sometimes 5. He moved halfway through his period living down here. So myself and Julian were, were, were and are best mates. We only rode actually together one year on a team in 2001. 
but we our whole careers trained. Like he moved to Spain in '99. I moved to Spain in 2001. So that until until I retired in 2007, we were we were training together every day if we we're on the same programs. And a lot of our, a lot of our racing was on the same programs. We we both up north in Belgium, and a lot of the time we're both the Giro or the Tour or the Vuelta. So they our training schedules did align a lot. So I did spend a hell of a lot of time with JD. And anyone who knows JD um, knows that he's not a man of many words. <laughs> and so, so a lot of the talking was done by myself. But it, was, it certainly wasn't a group ride, uh, especially with JD. Uh, but it was basically myself and JD with a few add-ons. Um, you know, we'd, we'd go link up with those boys in Javier, Victor and, and Klaus, and we do you know, a big chunk of the ride with them. Then we go our own separate way. But myself and JD spent a hell of a lot of time for seven years training with each other. Nice. And down there, this is the next question, favourite training route. Was it a favourite training route in Spain around there or you got something, you know, back from early days in Australia? If you had to say it, what was your favourite route? Was it maybe that Vale loop? That that one, that, that was that was definitely one of my favourite rides, but we didn't actually do it because we were there for three weeks and it was only, it was such a big ride. We probably did it three times because it was, it was a six-hour-plus day. But I, I, I still enjoy... As crazy as it may sound, I still enjoy the Wollongong. I, well, I haven't done it for probably two or three years now. I still enjoy my old training ride in Sydney. So we head from Cronulla up to Sutherland, down through the National Park, that beautiful view down through Stanwell Park. And then we stop in, stop in Wollongong and have a brew down there and, and head home. It was a 130K, 140K loop. I loop out, just out, pretty much out and back. You can take a couple of different ways to go there or way back, but you're basically on the coast. And that was that was Wednesday. It was at least a Wednesday ride as a minimum when I was in Australia. And you know, at one stage there, we were having it was a private ride, as in we'd have it was basically pros, and we had such a big amount of pros in living in Southern Sydney at the time. You know, Chris Chris Sutton, Graham Brown, Mark Renshaw. Yeah. There was a couple of world class triathletes, Chris Chris McCormack. Those guys would tag along, but we we would get up to twenty guys on that ride, and the pros would would do the work at the front. There was there's some other guys that we let come on the ride with us and. That was a that was yeah. that was a great ride. I I didn't like the Saturday St George crazy ride back from Waterfall. Any of those ones like the, like the hell yeah. rides in Melbourne. We had a couple of those. We had one of those in Sydney on Saturdays. But that that Wednesday ride down to Wollongong, I, I still you know if I, it's got a couple of hard climbs. There. I don't know if I'd go back and do it again. But a lot of fond memories from that ride. Nice. Well, maybe it was after that ride, or maybe it was after a good race, or even maybe now when you let yourself give you a treat. What is your cheat meal or your go-to celebration food you know like you go you know what i really deserve a meat pie today i've done bloody well what is yours in in oz it's definitely the meat pie is it yeah 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 i i i've given up on counting because i I used to do a count there down under and jonesy made a bit of a thing of it as you know the whitey pie count and people Mm. people used to come and deliver pies to me at down under and i remember (laughs) i remember going through I think I got to eighteen pies in the week there. You know, it was it was three pies a day, and I would I remember I remember waking up, and I I, I always exercise every morning, so I, I remember waking up in Adelaide at the Hilton, going for a you know, seven to ten k run, and then not going back and eating at the food hall because I knew pies were coming, <laughs> and, and, and so the first thing in my gob was a pie, and it was you know, either. The Swannies would go by the 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 the, Ed, the Ned Kelly pies, and so that was that was. So I was pretty hungry by we got time to ten o'clock. 
So I'd have a Ned, I'd go to a pie run, or so the Swannies would do a pie run. I'd have me meat pie. And then all of a sudden, every day, there's people people making handmade pies at home and delivering them to get their to get their mugs on the backstage pass. And part of that was me eating the pie. And I remember finishing one down under with bloody indigestion. I mean, you know, it's not... And I, and I wouldn't touch a pie. I wouldn't touch a pie for eleven months. But I, I because I can't get I can't get them here in Spain. And I do. And I remember though when it was back in Oz, you know, we'd go on our rides, and the treat would be a pie because I, I, I do love them and they're hard to get. But in Oz, they're everywhere. And so I'd, I'd overindulge in pies for the month of December and January, and then I wouldn't wouldn't want one for another eleven months. All right, that's brilliant. All right, well, last couple of questions. Uh, what's your best bike? If you could say the best bike you've ridden or the best bike that you'd want to get, what what's Whitey's bike? I think the one that stands out for me uh, is the, uh, the the DeRosa I had in two, the year 2000. It was a DeRosa Merrick. Really? And, yeah, and, and it was the first year, I reckon, that Campy come out. Would that have been eight or nine speed in 2000? I can't remember. Oh, probably eight speed then, wouldn't it? So Shimano, it was, Shimano nine speed around then, so maybe it was nine speed, yeah. So, so it was at Campy nine speed, and they had that little button. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I've got small I've got small hands, so it's actually, they had small little hoods, and I really liked, I, I liked it. I didn't ride Campy much in my, in, in, well, in 20 years. I haven't used Campy much. And it had it was this blue, this, this Royal Navy blue, but a matte finish. And it, was, it I thought it was a stunning bike. Mm. I thought it was a stunning bike. And 2000 was the year. We had a ripper of a year that year. And obviously, that was the year we, we, we lost the Giro eventually. But that was my bike from 2000. And I remember keeping that bike for a while and then selling it to a mate um, who had it for a long time after. But I have a lot of fun. That was a, be- it was a beautiful looking bike. It was. It would have been one of the last years, I suppose, that aluminium mm. as well. That all the bikes. I think my next after that, I went to, to Discovery. So that was Trek. So they were carbon. So it was probably the last time I. Oh, actually, no. That brings me back to, to the worst bike I rode. Confidence. <laughs> it was the Decathlon Confidence. <laughs> that was the worst bike I rode. Um, but that was. I said that was the last. Aluminium bike ride, but that was the that that DeRosa from two thousand is definitely the fondest memories on that one. All right, well, this is the last question, and maybe we've sort of had a quick chat before this, and you sort of alluding to some things as well as as I was. But what is your quarantine revelation? What's something that maybe you're going to come out of this period, this lockdown, this whole pandemic sort of period with? What have you learned? What what's something that's changed for you, or maybe? Nothing. What's your quarantine sort of revelation? Ooh, revelation. Well, I suppose when I was younger, I, when I finished school, I wanted to be a school teacher, and I deferred from mm. I deferred from uni to, to go full time as a junior in Australia, and, and I never went back to it. And I suppose oh, I'm, I'm sort of a teacher of certain degree now with my role as a sports director. But after having to homeschool kids for eight weeks, uh, one thing I won't be returning to is teaching. Uh, <laughs> I, if I, if I, yeah, I, that's, that's, that's the thing that stood out. Cause you know, obviously when I'm away so much, uh, on the road, yeah, my, my wife does a lot of stuff with the kids and, and I don't have too much to do with their schoolwork. I've tried to help out as much as I could here in this period. And I'll be glad to see the back end of it. But the <laughs> unfortunate thing is the kids aren't going back to school till September. So I've got another month 
before they finish school, well, finish their schoolwork in June. But yeah, one thing that I have learned is that maybe I wasn't cut out to be a primary school teacher. <laughs> Mate, that's brilliant. Very, very good. Well, thank you very much for being on Talking Love today. Some bloody good insights there. I'm really happy that you uh, came on and uh, had a chat to us. Thanks, Whitey. No, had great fun. Had great fun, Mitch. Grand, glad to be involved, mate. Cheers. There we have it, Whitey talking Luft. Put some pretty good little snippets in there. Gave us an idea of what life was like back in the day of Luft. I really loved hearing it. And guys. I want to say thanks again to Lara behind the scenes who's been doing a hell of a lot of good work for us at Life in the Peloton, setting these episodes up, especially last week, trying to put that big one together. And next week coming up, I'm talking to Tom Southern, my good mate, my director sportive in EF Education First. So send your questions in. We're doing a bit of a mailbag. He's a director, so you can send some director questions in or you can just send in any old questions because Southern has got a wealth of knowledge about cycling. And I'll try and answer a couple in there as well. So I'd love to hear from you guys. It's been a long time since we've done a mailbag. So send them in. Want to hear from you guys. Want some questions, some hard ones, some easy ones hopefully for me. And we'll try and have a go at answering them. So thanks guys. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, cheers. Cheers.